0: We're in a series right now on the book of Hosea, so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hosea. We're going to start off at chapter 4, verse 1, but then we're going to skip back to chapter 2. So I'm going to read it, and we'll kind of get a general idea of what's taking place in this story at this specific time. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bonds and bloodshed flows bloodshed, so that's the that's what's taking place. There's some bad things that are that are that the Israelites are doing, so they have been unfaithful, but this is God's response. This is chapter two verse nineteen. I will betroth to you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in love and in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, You are my people. And they will say, You are my God. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. I'm not quite sure I understand what the significance of raisin cakes is, but whatever you do today, don't have raisin cakes. So I bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of barley. And then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You are not to be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice, or sacred stones without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return, and they will seek the Lord their God, and David, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord, and to His blessings in the last days. So, Hosea is, is a prophetic book. It's it's and it's an illustration. Hosea, God makes Hosea marry an unfaithful woman. And he's saying, this is what it is like. This is what it's like to be the Lord who is married to an unfaithful people. I don't know if you caught the part where it said, um, the ones that I call not my own, I will call my own again. In God's disappointment, the Lord's disappointment with his people is, He goes as far as to say, you're not my people anymore because you haven't been faithful. And then it's as if God changes his mind. He says, Ah, on second thought, okay, I'll call you my people again. I'll call you my loved ones again, even though, well, frankly, you don't deserve it. And I don't know if you caught this either, but Hosea actually has to buy his wife back with silver. He has to pay her debt because not only has she sold herself into unfaithfulness, but she's also racked up a debt and the husband pays that debt. One more thing that you might have glossed over when I was reading this is that the people were lost when they had no king and in God's restoration process when he brings his people back his his bride back when he brings them back into that loving relationship part of that relationship is restored by acknowledging David the, the very first king the Lord is saying, "Well, you were unfaithful, but I've been faithful. You racked up a debt. I'm gonna pay that debt." The big, major issue is you just you just don't know who you are anymore. And in today's topic, you don't know whose you are. And in order for that identity to be restored, you you have to have a king in your life. The Lord has to be king. We call him Lord. We, in, in this case, we're calling him King. In the, in the context of what we do in church, in a church like Granite Creek, we are a kingdom-minded church. We want to see the kingdom of heaven come down to earth as it is in heaven. But in order to have a kingdom here on earth, meaning you know all those things that Jesus did, miraculously feeding the sick, miraculously... Uh, feeding the poor, miraculously healing the sick. The signs, the wonders, the flash, the compassion, the deliverance from oppression, the deliverance from demonic spirits. I mean, Jesus having his way, that's the expression of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But in order to have that type of expression, that type of victory, that type of... (laughs) power. To have the kingdom, you've got to have a king. Amen? And you've got to know who he is. And you've got to know where he's at. And you have to be in relation with him. All right, so maybe some of you know this. I'm a bit of a chess player. I'm not very good. At one time, I was pretty good. But now Jimmy can beat me. There he is. We played a few times. I think we might be tied. Time for a tiebreaker but I'm really not that good, but I love to play. I love the strategy. I love what's involved. And uh, I was decent in high school, but just like everything else in life, when I went to college, then my game amped up. And well, like there was a moment in college where it was sink or swim. Like I was either going to make it or, or flunk out. And I just kind of sucked it up and learn things that I didn't know how to do before, like type. (laughs) So I I was like, I used to pay this guy, I used to pay this guy to type my papers for me because I couldn't type. And um, well, I ran out of money. Like I literally ran out of money, so I had to force myself and teach myself that skill to to type, anyway. Same was true with, with chess. Like I thought I was good in high school. But when I got to college, it was a new game altogether. And I had a roommate. His name is Dave Carlton. I haven't talked to him for years. He's a pastor now, too. So he's on the East Coast somewhere pastoring in a Presbyterian church. But we would play chess all the time instead of studying. And he taught me a new form. Okay, let me just highlight that Mr. Dave is a pastor. But he taught me a new form of chess. It was guerrilla chess. It's a chess game where winning is the ultimate goal. And if you can get away with cheating, then that's legal. Okay? does that? It was guerrilla chess. Like this was a concept that I hadn't really thought of before. But what he... What he would do is like if I'm playing the game, if I'm not paying attention, like I'm just like focused on my pieces, I'm focused on my moves, on my game, and I'm not paying attention to what necessarily he's doing. And so what this guy would do, again, a pastor, is that he would cheat. <laughs> he, would, he would make the pieces move in illegal ways. So this is supposed to do like an L, you know, and he would do really long L's. And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. Wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. How, Dude, you're cheating! (laughs) And he's like, hey man, it's all's fair in love and war. You sucker. So I had to pay attention to what he was doing. Because again, he would move the pieces illegally, or he would, you know, if you know the game, uh, the, the bishops go in diagonals, and the rooks go in rows and columns. And if there's some... If there's a piece in front of them, well, then you'd have to stop there or take that piece, right? But he would just pretend like they were invisible, and he would go through pieces. I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. You can't do that. And so he would cheat. Um, The other thing that he would do if I got up and went to the restroom is that he would take pieces off the board, So I had to memorize the board. I had to know where the pieces were if I wanted to go to the restroom because I knew that he was going to take some stuff off. I learned it the hard way because one day he took the king off the board. (laughs) Went to the bathroom, sat back, this is the first time he did it. Went to the bathroom, sat down, started playing the game. I'm doing great. But he took my king off my board. Like, even though I was playing the game, moving the pieces, coming up with strategy, doing fairly well, um, I'd already lost the game because I didn't have a king. Does that make sense? I want you guys to understand that very important concept. In life, we can play the game. We can have a strategy. We can even be doing well in life. But if you don't have a king, you've lost the game before you even started playing. It really is that simple. So we shouldn't deceive ourselves or confuse success or getting a couple of pieces, getting a little bit ahead as as fulfillment, as what God's called us to do if we don't have the king on our board. Amen? Second thing. This is why I am not a good chess player is because my mind is focused on the pieces that are moving, the pieces that have action to them, the ones that take the ones that kill, the ones that I need to that the power pieces that I need to protect. this is where my mind is in a constant state. The number one reason why I lose at chess all the time is because, I forget about the king and where he's at. I get suckered into chess mates so many times. Right, Jimmy? I get suckered all the time. I'm too focused on what's taking place in this corner of the board. I take the bait. I take a quick kill. I, s- I sprung the trap. Two more moves, I'm checkmated because I have a king, but I have no idea where he's at. And we do this all the time. Life is busy, amen? Life can get complicated, stressful, pressures. Like, you gotta hustle. You gotta hustle these days. There's just no way around it. There's no such thing as lazy Californians. You just can't. Like, if you wanna make it here, you got to you got to hustle. You got to look at all the angles. You have to manage your career. You have to manage your family life, friends, church. But if you're moving all these pieces around and you're not mindful of where the king is, Well, frankly, you can just you can just lose. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell, but you could lose. You could take a loss. You could lose some pieces. Might not work out the way that you wanted it to because you're not mindful. The interesting thing about the king, here he is right here, is that he um, he's in the back of the board. And unlike the knight that can jump over pieces and do these fun little L-shaped things, and that's probably the one that you know gets me the most is not paying attention to this guy that jumps around, or he might—the king might not be as flashy as the guy that does the diagonals and hits all the angles, or it might not be as it might seem as powerful as a rook, who just goes in and demolishes strongholds, and it's awesome. Uh, The king, well, it only moves one space at a time. As far as action goes, it doesn't seem that exciting. But do you know what the most important piece on the chessboard is? It's this piece. The game is all about the king. Although he doesn't do the fancy stuff, it's all about the king and in my spiritual life I've learned the same to be true like I can get I can get distracted by all the other pieces all the other movement but if I am not mindful of where Jesus is in my life the position that he takes in my heart if I am not realizing that he is... He is in the background that, in fact, the whole game of life is all about him. I'm not mindful of that. And, like, and again, even though I don't see him moving, amen, right? Okay, let me me highlight this. Now, even though I don't see the king moving because he's exactly where he's supposed to be, everything else is moving. Now, even though I don't see him moving, I have to be conscious, Spiritually conscious of where he's at all the time, because if I'm not, Pastor Dave Carlton's going to win this game because he cheats. <laughs> hey man, okay, did you okay? okay Pastor Dave Carlton cheats. Do you know who else who cheats? Do you want to know who else who cheats? The devil. He cheats. He plays dirty. He'll kick you while you're down. He lies. You get up and go to the bathroom, he's going to take your pieces off the board. He cheats. We have to call him to account to what he's doing. King David. Right now we're, we're doing a reading through the entire Bible, as Pastor Michael mentioned. I want to encourage you to, to join us. Uh, It's not going to be a heavy-handed thing, but we just know that you'll be blessed if you're reading the Bible every day. Twenty minutes, five days a week, we'll get through the Scriptures in a year. It's going to be a great accomplishment. It's a great system to add to your life. And a little bit of Psalms is is sown through the whole series. Uh, pastor michael's curated something that he feels is specifically for our church this is a program that we wrote it's nothing that we didn't get offline and psalms is, is is woven in and i think it's amazing because david in his heart and his position to the lord it, it's always true I, the scriptures say that david was a man after god's own heart right you guys know that and that's probably why you're sitting here today, because you're a man or a woman after God's own heart. And because of his position in his heart, this is one of the, one of the reasons why you know, David went through some terrible things. He went through some major crisis. And yet, he always knew where his Lord was. David's king was always in his heart. Amen. And when you know that the king is always in your heart, well, you're going to have a confidence to overcome. One of the readings from this week was Psalms chapter 5. We don't know precisely what the situation is. We know that when this was written down, Actually, when it was written down was after probably his life. They re- they remembered and they recorded and you know somebody took some notes and they included chapter 5. But when David wrote this, when he composed it either in his mind or in song or in prayer, most likely he was already anointed king. So just get this into your mind. Like David's king. Like psychologically, he knows that he's king. And he might have even been crowned on the throne king regardless his situation he is going through a hard time so either he's running from Saul or he's running from his son Absalom like he's going through a hard time he feels as if God is not with him because he doesn't see the pieces move yet he knows exactly where his king is his king is in his heart this is what he says he says Give ear to my words, O Lord. Like, listen to me. Have you prayed that prayer this week? God, are you here? Are you listening? Like, I'm calling out to you. What's going on? Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help. And this is what this is why David's successful and maybe we're not. Because again, this guy, he has either been anointed king or he's on the throne. But this is his response. Listen to my cry for help. My king and my God. For to you I pray. I, if, if you want one major take home, like let's just do what David does, and let's just position our relationship, and even our identity, with God as our King. He is Lord. He's God, Creator of the universe. Us Americans, we don't like the concept of a monarchy, right? I, I don't. I don't get it. But as far as the kingdom of heaven goes, like we need to bend the knee to the king. We really do. That's where our prayers need to go. We need to understand not only the lordship of God, but the royalty of who he is. In the morning, O oh Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay down my request before you and wait in expectation. Are you expecting God right now? Our kids are coming down. They don't distract me one bit. (laughs) If we were inside of the building, we would hear them running down the halls, and it would it would still be distracting. So you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into the house in reverence and I will bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. I love that. That uh, that that word right there. I don't know why the throat is an open grave. You know people that speak death. Maybe you've even done it this week. Stop it! Don't let your don't let your mouth be an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. De- de- deceit. Declare them guilty, O oh God. Okay, that's pretty tame compared to chapter three where he says kick their teeth in, God. So we really, <laughs> I know you get to see David being real, right? He's, a, he's got real feelings. He's got real emotions. He's, he's been betrayed so many times. He's been alone so many times. He understands his own emotional state, and he gets it out. I love it. Banish them for their many sins. They have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection. Over them, those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, and the Lord would respond, don't call me surely. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with favor as with a shield. David gets it. He knows that he's going to be protected, even though that might not be his reality. That might not be his experience. He knows that the Lord has built a shield or a hedge of protection around him, even though he's probably either on the run from his son or on the run from Saul. Like he knows that God is with him. What 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 a powerful spiritual state to know that in the back of your spiritual consciousness that Jesus is there and that he's king. So that's who God is, and he's king. Last week, I asked the big question, do you know who you are? In the context of Hosea, it's very clear, in the context of the New Testament, in the context of the narrative, you are not one of those knights. They're awesome, but that's not you. You're not a bishop working all the angles just to get ahead and take a piece. You're not a castle. You're not that rook of power. Like these are all tools that the Lord uses. You might even feel like a pond. You're not even that. You're not a pond in this big game. You're not to be sacrificed. Scripture is very clear as who you are. You're the bride of Christ. You're the queen. You're you're the most powerful piece on the board. We're we're the queen, everybody. That's That's some good news. So if you know who you are, who are you in Christ? It's a very important question to ask. And whose you are, meaning that you're the queen and this is who you belong to. Oop, there, goes, there goes your castle. <laughs> we demolish every stronghold, making them obedient. <laughs> this is who you are in direct relation. When Jesus said, uh, I, I've come to set you free, right? Uh, I no longer call you a slave. That is a huge move on our identity, specifically when you start to feel guilty, when you start to feel less than, when you start to feel maybe even manipulated. Oh, you're no slave. Your identity is completely different. Jesus says, no, you're not not a slave. And he says, actually, I have come so that your identity in me will be seen as a friend. You are my friend. You're a friend of God. And then he pushes it. You're you're the bride, the bridegroom. This might not be reality, but this is how he sees us. Pure and spotless, like the perfect bride. Not like that one in Hosea. That might be experience, that might be reality, but the way that he sees us and the way that he wants to relate to us is he's relating to us as if he's paid all of our debts. We are pure. We are his One of the biggest scripture stumbles that I have is that Jesus says, you are up here with me on the right hand of my throne, meaning that that we are side by side with the Lord. And he, he thinks of us in ways that we don't even think about ourselves. He puts us in a place of honor and in a place of royalty As the church and the bride of Jesus Christ, your relationship to him is royalty. All these other suckers, they're just pieces on the board. But we are royalty with him. So, let me close by saying this. Take a look at your board Today or this week, your life, think about all the moving pieces. If your life is anything like mine, you know you have a lot of moving pieces on the board right now, and maybe they're hard to keep track of. Number one question to ask is Well, is Jesus on my board? Is he there? Is he present? Second question to ask, do I know where he is? And is my relationship with the king, is it protected? Does that, that make sense? Is your relationship with God, is it protected? Meaning that you don't let any sneaky spirit, sneaky person come in and taint your relationship with the Lord. Don't let that, don't let that take place. you got to fight for that. Those are the things that we need to pay attention to. But more importantly, do you know whose you are? You you belong to the king. And he loves you so much that he has made you his queen. He has made you his queen. I've asked Elder Joyce to come up and close this sermon in prayer. And then we're going to do communion after that. So if you're watching online, God bless you. Take a few moments and grab yourself a cracker. It can be even be like a Ritz Bits or something, whatever you got. Just not a raisin cake. Just not a raisin cake. Uh, If you don't have orange juice, orange juice. If you don't have grape juice, orange juice works. Whatever you have works. Jesus wants to meet with you in your home as he does here. So Joyce, would you pray for us, please?
1: Father, our hearts rejoice before you this morning. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have been able and privileged to meet with you in this outdoor auditorium, the same way that Jesus met with his people when he walked on this earth. I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you this morning, Lord, for your word to us. And Lord, we do declare this morning that you are our king. Amen. You have told us that you are my people. And Lord, we Amen. declare to you today yes, that you are our God. Yes, Lord. Lord, we long to walk with you. Yes, we long to go with you deeper into your word. I thank you for the word today from Hosea. And Lord Jesus, as we go from this place today, I would just pray for everyone here this morning that according to Psalm 5, that you would spread your protection over them. Amen. And then, Lord, that you would surround them with your favor as with a shield. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.